Mark your calendar to attend the American Academy of Family Physicians National Conference of Family Medicine Residents and Medical Students July 27th through the 29th in Kansas City, Missouri. Choose from more than 35 educational sessions and visit over 450 residency programs and exhibitors and much more. Join the National Conference Equation at aafp.org nc. of LGB and 70% of trans folks experience discrimination in healthcare settings. Do you contribute to this statistic? Welcome to the AMSA AdLib podcast where you'll hear from med students and experts alike. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. Discrimination faced in healthcare settings sets barriers for LGBT individuals to receive proper care, which leads to significant health disparities in the LGBT community. And one of the biggest barriers LGBT individuals are facing is the lack of trained providers. This week is National LGBT Health Awareness Week. The week is dedicated to creating positive action for LGBT health access by raising awareness of LGBT health disparities among policymakers, the public, and the LGBT community. In addition to educating the public about efforts to reduce the stigma and discrimination LGBT individuals face in the healthcare system. Joining us today is Benjamin Brooks with the National Coalition for LGBT Health. So I work with an organization called the National Coalition for LGBT Health. And what we do is primarily advocacy, education, and research. So our advocacy arm uh, primarily entails working on the Hill, writing position papers and creating sign-on letters for our coalition members to be able to have an effective and concentrated voice to our legislators. Um, The education that we do takes takes the research that we engage in and and collates it and then brings it back down to our coalition members to allow them to get training on um, cultural competency uh, methods for LGBT communities and for things like um, CME credits on uh, different areas and uh, just broadly um, educating people as to best practices in a in the allied health fields, um, whether it's uh, gathering data on your patients and making sure that you get sexual orientation and gender identity data to the ways of making your practice a um, more culturally competent space. Um, And then the third thing that we do is research, which is um, a like a nationwide survey on LGBT health. And this is still being developed. Benjamin works as a policy advocate in health law and policy, meaning anything from the actual advocacy work of doing the research, writing the position papers, to phoning senators and trying to get them to agree to a specific position on promise. He's also working to try to make sure the coalition members are aware of the different concrete ramifications of the policy options that are coming out of D.C. So this week, your organization is putting on the National LGBT Health Awareness Week. Um, so why is this so important? Why is this becoming such a relevant topic? Absolutely. So this is the 15th annual uh, National LGBT Health Awareness Week. And this week's theme is Act Out for LGBT Health, which we think is particularly important at this point in time because LGBT health um, issues have come under particular attack 
uh, or are particularly vulnerable to to increasing disparities uh, at this time than the uh, more so than they have been really in ever in the past. Um, but thankfully, our community and our allies are are a more robust and vibrant community um, than we've ever had as as well. But we are particularly concerned about the backlash uh, to the to the many advances in LGBT rights and human rights over the past few years um, coming down the line, as well as making clear that people understand that the that the trauma of discrimination has health effects as well, and that the health disparities. Um, we're talking about in, are especially poignant in the mental health arena and the behavioral health arena, and 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 this is highlighted in the in the increased smoking rates for um, LGBT in, individuals over over non LGBT community members, as well as the um, the the drug and alcohol abuse um, rates for LGBT. Community members are are higher uh, than for the uh, straight community. So one of the statistics that um, I saw through your organization's website was that fifty six percent of LGBT and seventy percent of trans folks um, experience discrimination in healthcare settings, which is a huge number. Can you tell me a little bit more about the specific? health disparities and discrimination that they're facing in healthcare settings? Yes, uh, I can as much as the there's a limit on that data um, because the because collecting data on on the specifics of of this discrimination um, can be tri tricky. But but what I can say is that um, when LGB people go to the doctor's office. Um, they are looking for a doctor that is not going to make assumptions about the care that they need to receive. And so, um, what 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 that can look like then is a doctor that assumes that a gay patient is is going to need a particular type of care or 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 is at high risk for stds and stis without asking uh specific questions about their behaviors and um for the transgender community in particular one of the risks that they are presented with is that their physician will only see their transgender identity rather than their needs as a patient and so what we encourage physicians to do is to make sure that the questions that they ask are are both specific and valuing the person that they're in front of um and and um and, and don't make assumptions about the kind of care that they need uh so one thing that you kind of touched on uh, there was the questions that doctors or providers can be mm -hmm. asking. Um, so how do you have a way or a suggestion that providers can be creating that safe space or a rapport to help patients feel more comfortable and more open in their environment? Absolutely. So for, for trans patients in particular, um, and for all patients, really, one of the 
one of the easiest ways to make sure that patients are feeling comfortable is to find out what their preferred name is. And this would be their the name that they wish to be called. Uh, it, it, it doesn't. It can be kept as a separate box on a form from a from a legal name. Um, but even for myself, I use my middle name, and I would prefer my doctor to call me by my middle name, even though my gender identity that I express matches the one that I was assigned at, at, at birth. And that's another box that we uh, encourage doctors to use is to is is to have when you ask about a patient's sex, we find it appropriate to ask also about their sex assigned at birth and then their gender identity uh, either before or, or after, and then their preferred pronouns. And so this allows the doctor to, to, to not make assumptions about a particular patient, again, right, to, 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 to treat everybody as an individual and to make sure that you're paying attention to, to their individual needs uh, as they walk into your office. So you're suggesting that this information providers are collecting when patients are filling out forms or it's something they should be conversing about? I suggest that this is information that they collect when they fill out forms. And and, and not only because um, somebody's status as a transgender person is is important for the way that, that a doctor will, will, for some of the care that a physician might need to provide, um, because it, it it certainly can be, um, but also because it can inform the, everybody on the staff and not just the person speaking with the, the patient as to the appropriate and polite way to um, to refer to them. We kind of talked about this earlier, but it, it seems to be an issue that's really come up in discussion in more recent years. Um, how, how do you feel that today's doctors are or should be keeping up with the changes in care? Um, that's an interesting question. So one of the troubling statistics that I'm familiar with that you may have more information on is that new physicians only receive about six hours of out-of-classroom instruction on uh, LGBT health. Um, and so we think uh, at the coalition that um, additional training on specific concerns to the LGBT community, especially regarding mental health, um, w- are absolutely crucial to to re- reducing the disparities that we see uh, between uh, the LGBT communities and the straight communities. Yeah, so something you said there is that some you know schools may not be offering the kind of proper care information through traditional medical curriculum. Um, if a student finds themselves in that sort of training situation, what are steps that they can take outside of their traditional curriculum to uh, take a step in the right direction? That is fantastic. So the National Coalition for LGBT Health has online webinars and um, trainings uh, of different sorts that are available to medical students and to physicians um, to engage with this topic in a, in a more robust way than may be available to them. Um, these resources aren't just available from us as well. There are 
a number of organizations that provide research and information on um, care and treatment for LGBT people. Uh, I, I suggest starting with the internet. Uh, like all things, there's a, there's a plethora of information, many of it from incredibly well-educated patient advocates who have had to do, deal with some pretty unfortunate interactions with their physicians and so have, have become advocates for themselves and their uh, communities. Some students or providers may benefit and prefer a more hands-on training experience. Do you have any suggestions of steps to take? Well, I want to share um, a little bit about another educational opportunity that we have at the coalition. We have created a, a national conference on LGBT health in cooperation with another org, Health HIV. And so it's a, it's a conference on HIV, HCV, and LGBT health uh, coming up in about a month. And we would love to offer the opportunity for AMSA students to, to come and join us for, uh, for sessions on LGBT health and LGBT health disparities. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Benjamin. Christine, it was a pleasure to speak with you, and thank you so much for re reaching out. We're happy to spread uh, more awareness of the LGBT health issues, especially on this uh, LGBT Health Awareness Week. So thank you again. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Pete Thompson and myself. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Kelly Tibbert is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening. Mark your calendar to attend the American Academy of Family Physicians National Conference of Family Medicine Residents and Medical Students July 27th through the 29th in Kansas City, Missouri. Choose from more than 35 educational sessions and visit over 450 residency programs and exhibitors and much more. Join the National Conference Equation at aafp.org NC.